Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast and the first episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show in vampire season. That is what we are in on this podcast feed at the moment. Janine, it's already started over on Morgan Hasn't Seen this past Wednesday. It's Salem's Lot, 1979. We are getting really heavy into all the gothic, all the fangs, all the bats and wolves and cats and random animals that vampires end up turning into. Um, Moonlight, (laughs) coffins, garlic, crucifixes, and stakes to the heart. They're all getting involved in this month. We're in October now. We always like to do this in October on It's a Wonderful Podcast. We take a certain horror type, a certain monster or, or general idea of movies, and we just go all out with that one thing. Or we like to in October. And this year's Vampires. And we're starting with a pretty interesting one this week, I think. I think Loki, it's kind of one of my favourite vampire movies. And we we, look, admittedly, we're, we're doing a whole Morgan Hasn't Seen series on vampire movies. Of course we are this month. It's a massive group of movies not a massive group of movies quantity wise just there's four movies they are huge notable vampire movies and we even did interview with the vampire a couple of weeks ago on morgan hasn't seen as well so perhaps you know you can say i'm not the most watched when it comes to vampire movies clearly which is okay a little bit surprising but i still attest that The Vampire Lovers from 1970 is a wildly underappreciated vampire movie and definitely one of my favourites. Not for just the fact that Ingrid Pitt's, oh yes, let's have a look at Ingrid Pitt and give it all this, which is really, (laughs) yes, okay, the marketing draw of the movie, that's kind of the point of the movie. It's a Hammer movie. What was Hammer very well known for? Aside from, you know, lavish sets and bright red blood in its horror movies, it was known for incredibly glamorous actresses and showing them off to their full potential, <laughs> wasn't it? Yes. Um, in its in its heyday, and yes, okay, this is this is seventies Hammer. This is slightly later Hammer. We've developed a little bit. We've become more. I think gratuitous in its sensibilities or in, you know, hammers become more gratuitous in its sensibilities by the early seventies. But I still think the vampire lovers is that wonderful blend of still holding true to the slightly older real quality Gothic atmosphere and genuine uh, dread that you get from a lot of Hammer, as well as being just visually beautiful, as well as, yes, okay, there's a little bit of an exploitative factor in there as well, which it's the 70s now, you get that trend coming 
about. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. No, no. The entertainment of the movie. Yes. And it's also, you know, pretty progressive. This is pretty much a gay coded, you know, vampire horror movie. Um, And so I like seeing uh, a focus on female vampires as opposed to male vampires, because it almost seems like, you know, they're execution in terms of stalking their prey it is much more thoughtful <laughs> than a male vampire yeah. um you know it, they take their time and you know play with their prey and seduce them and you know create allies so that they can you know manipulate better and and execute their plan more uh sufficiently so it, it definitely seems like you know the differences in terms of how human <laughs> men and women think applied to this you know mythical being so i like the focus being on female vampires and um you know i know we're probably going to be talking about a lot of the uh, characteristics of vampires and how they differ but there's always kind of this factor that i think we talked a lot about on interview with the vampire um and you know of course me trying to find some twilight comparison uh that vampires do look a certain way and use that to you know to reel in prey and and you know they have this seductive ability because it's a part of their whole um tactic in terms of being a predator yeah um, and so they the use that of the so, vampire the better right yes so to see you know the female version of that really you know be the forefront um and see how their seduction skills work and how you know it's just much more softer execution and gentler um in terms of how they kind of go about uh you know capturing you know a victim uh what was a, a really interesting uh perspective to really you know nail in on <clears throat> as opposed to kind of your typical male dracula vampires so yeah and i'm sure over the course of this conversation we'll get into comparing it to hammer's other massively notable vampire in uh, christopher lee's dracula and how yeah. those you know those things kind of differentiate from each other we do have to do one thing before we get into today's main discussion and that's a big thank you to all our it's a wonderful podcast patrons we love them all so very dearly we, we can't do what we do without their generous support um you can find a link in the description of this episode to the patreon there's also a donation link as well if you want to support us in any of those ways uh, we would love you forever, much like we love and want to start by saying a big thank you to Marie Zambino. And thank you, Adam Witt. Thank you to Michael Smith. Thank you, Amber Coates. Thank you, Abby Friel. Thank you, Ferris Muthana. Thank you to 90s Comics Box, Janine's big brother, Justin. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you to Tina Farrow. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Movie Fenobi Steve. Thank you, Samir Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, Carla Fees. Thank you to Delisha Butler. Thank you to the great Ken Knapsack. Thank you to Tom and Kimber of the Odd Shape Channel. Thank you, Eric Garcia. And thank you, of course, to Billy Pollahan. Yes. We love the patrons. 
they're great. I love this movie, Janine. I'm not sure this was your first time seeing this movie. Do you have that? Do, do you share the certain fondness? I think from the opening five minutes, you you have an appreciation, but are you kind of really into this uh, style of horror, this hammer style, the, the, the lavishness, the super heavy gothic, the kind of pure pure good versus pure evil aspect. Although I think watching this movie, I think it's so easy to be on Ingrid Pitt's side in this movie. You're just fascinated by her um, as our central protagonist vampire. Yeah. That we're not with the people trying to, you know, find out all the weird vampiric stuff that's going on and ultimately take her down. We're with her. We want her to turn as many of these people into vampires as possible <laughs> because we just like that so much. That's how I, I mean, watch I, this movie. Well, I was I was really into the vibes. I loved the look. I loved that there was still very much this seventies flair in terms of the hair and the makeup and even the styling. You know, you still felt like you were in a different time, but it still felt modern to the time that it came out. So it was a very interesting and almost seamless blending of the two eras. Um, and so, so I really liked the look of those two kinds of times put together. So I still liked seeing the winged eyeliner and the kind of <laughs> big hair and <laughs> the okay. empire waist with the flowy sheer dresses. And um, I just loved the look of it, the brightness of it. Um, it was definitely giving some really great gothic vibes for sure. So I, I was all about the aesthetic of the film, the look of the film. It felt very lush. Um, well, these so, are just so the I was really into get. that. <clears throat> these yeah. are just the things you get in Hammer movies. This is so it's so typical of Hammer. It is a, an absolute trademark. Many people could look at you know a movie like The Vampire Lovers uh, as a run of the mill hammer film that it does nothing overly special in terms of anything stylistic or performance wise it's using people that you know the company always uses in similar kind of roles to what they're always used in or frequently used in or have otherwise been used in but what I think sets it apart, and look, okay, I'm also not the most watched person when it comes to Hammer's deeper catalogue, either, you know, a good chunk of the more major stuff, yes, I've seen, yes, I'm very familiar with, and a couple of the, what one would call lesser movies, I have seen and I'm familiar with. Um, I can't speak to absolutely everything Hammer did in their heyday of kind of, you know, mid-50s to mid-70s. Um, yeah. But a lot of it I can. And, and a lot of the vampire lovers, from a technical point, from a style point, from a, an acting point, is so very much the same that it always is. So... I'm maybe not looking at this as you are going, oh, oh, yes, I was really, you know, impressed by the lavish sets. Like, of course, I was really impressed by the lavish sets, but what was I to expect? It's a hammer movie. Yeah, that's kind of typical. 
Um, um, well, I mean, <laughs> so forgive me if I'm forgive me if I'm mistaken, but is no, this your no. first Hammer movie? Is this our first Hammer movie on uh, this show? Perhaps I, I think it might be. Um, I I will say I don't know. Like typically, I am usually in your camp, but for whatever reason, I was not. I was kind of with the poor virginal girls and really <laughs> did not want them to be manipulated and attacked. <laughs> oh, but they're so wet lettuce, though, aren't they? They're so just kind of wimpy. They are. But I think our, our you know, lead vampire is just so manipulative and evil that I was just like, no, I don't want her to win. <laughs> <laughs> but we like that though and even all the male characters in the movie the doctor the the father of emma peter cushing who's of course in the movie they're all just a little bit they're all very yes they're stuffy, not definitely very not stuck as, in their ways yes they're definitely not as interesting as as ingrid pitt that's her name right um yes yes um they're all yes very kind of perfectly moral and straightforward and um you know not very interesting but i think because she played it so well and was just so manipulative and evil like i just i i felt for them for in their sim in their simpleness and their simpletonness um that i didn't want her to win because she was such a good villain that i was just like no please just go easy on these poor people <laughs> Perhaps so it is feel, also. I don't know. I found myself very much feeling for the for the poor human characters. I mean that is, that kind of is what you're supposed to feel. So you, you know you're watching the movie as the movie <laughs> intended you to watch it, and you're just I'm, like, yeah, get them, get them. I'm I'm watching it with this <laughs> lens. Perhaps I'm watching it with a similar kind of lens to what I watch. And here comes Morgan's comparisons comparisons to noir movies again because he can't get his mind out of that style. But you, you, you can think of it as you think of the, uh, a Fatal character in, in noir movies, right? You can think of, of Carmilla or Marcella or whatever you want to call her, because she's got like two names. What is it? Marcilla or Carmilla? Whichever one you want. Carmilla, really, because this does come from and is adapted from the Sheridan Le Fanu story, Carmilla, yeah. which is a is a an old Victorian vampire uh, story that preceded Dracula by a, a couple of decades, I think, or a few decades even. It's um, it's a very very formative vampire story. So I think okay, you know, we can't forget that that yeah. you know we we often think we often just automatically think of Dracula. When we think of the foundations of modern, of the modern fictional vampire, but yeah. Carmilla, this story came before that, and we often think of vampires as male predatory figures. Yes, that's are. why I liked seeing uh, this kind of female group of vampires, and we do have, uh, you know, a dark 
male presence of a vampire kind of just stalking around and watching on oh, we do. and kind oh, of we relishing do. in in you know what is happening um to to these poor human characters but the focus is purely on um these female vampires and and their seduction um <clears throat> particularly this Carmilla character who does change her identity several times in order to kind of run this this scheme that she's doing kind of going from a state to a state you know pretending to be this poor woman who needs assistance and you know she's taken in befriends the young daughter of whoever's home she's staying in and then ultimately kind of uses them um to to you know feed off of and um you know fall in love with in order to kind of take them back with her um yeah to be her her little you know vampire pet her vampire lover <laughs> so exactly exactly <laughs> well this is because we're in you know 18th century germany and people are clearly very fond of just welcoming anybody into their house you know, they've just been told she's a countess's daughter. So, oh, yes, yes, this is right. This is proper. And Let's she's very beautiful. Into it plays home. into her seduction of how she looks and, you know, yes. women and, you know, makes you feel comfortable. And, and being a woman, it just makes you feel more comfortable. Um, you know. But she's not at all, she's not at all interested in any of the male characters in the movie. She's yeah. purely after the women, um, you know. As a as a as a lesbian vampire movie that this is, it's really quite bold for you know even 1970. Which yes, okay, you move into more of a a time in in movies all across the world that is a little bit more open to exploring certain alternative things. And certain yeah. alternative beliefs and things like this. Not that it's an alternative belief. That was the wrong word. But you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah. However, the boldness of the... Or, or I should say the frankness of how the movie deals with it is is really impressive, I think. Um, because Hammer is unusual as a brand of horror anyway, because I think it can be looked at as in two radically opposing ways. It can be looked at as the most prudish style of horror ever, where good Christian blonde-haired white men riding on their horses defeat the vampire and take the nice virgin girl home and marry them. Yeah. But it's also massively gratuitous all the time. Super violent is constantly sexual in its subtext, none more so than in The Vampire Lovers, because it's it's not subtext any longer. It's actually what's happening in front of you in the movie. Yeah. Is these ridiculously sexually manipulative scenes of Ingrid Pitt bathing in a bedroom in front yes, of in an open uh, space uh, in in front of this yeah. young girl yeah who she who she's trying to kind of ultimately turn into a vampire to to kind of obviously that's always the vampire's gain isn't it that or the vampire's goal 
is to turn as many people as possible. I feel like that's always the case with with the idea of the vampire. They just yeah. always want more of themselves. You yeah. know, that's that's their idea. Whether it's to whether it's for feeding purposes, and yes, there's an aspect of that as well. But the movie is so focused on the the seduction and the real sexiness of itself that you know it really does it really does excel at delivering that i think yes yes i i i did you know notice the emphasis on kind of the seduction style of of how she's able to um kind of manipulate people particularly you know, she does this with one girl ultimately killing her and then kind of moves on to the next, which is the girl that we follow the rest of the film, Emma, who who she's staying with and befriends and ultimately uses and kind of wants to take by the end as her lover back to her kind of manor and her coffin. Um, and the, you know, once she realizes maybe Emma is not wholly falling for her seduction. She seduces her, you know, her lady-in-waiting and seduces the butler in order to kind of get them to back her up and, and help her in her goal of getting Emma. Um, yeah, it, so... it, she's like her She's like her governess who she yes. seduces. You know, yes, if you think so of, she's... Think, think of... Think of how do you describe a governess to people who may not know what a governess is? Uh, nanny, fancy nanny. Julie yeah, Andrews in like in charge. Music. Yeah, she's she's in, a governess. Like, yeah, she's in charge of her. Deborah her Carr in the Innocent. There, is <clears throat> a governess. Yes. So she's you know seducing Emma in order to take her to feed off of her for the very typical vampire needs, um, but she's seducing the butler and the governess you know, just for pure manipulation. Yeah, because she just needs to she 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 needs to get what she needs to get. Right? Yes, that's that's yes. her entire goal. I'm I'm just I, I I'm realizing now that we are we are watching this movie in very different ways. Yeah. And I think this, <laughs> yes. this well because just... <laughs> This is my familiarity with this style of horror movie and your unfamiliarity yeah. with this style of horror Maybe movie. Maybe that's what it is, because I think what also kind of got me more on the human side of things was when they actually started showing that quick thinking um, with the garlic flowers and the doctor going to put the cross on. Um, you know, the townspeople, you know, because we do get peppered into the story and conversations. Oh, this person just died. Oh, this person just died too. This person was killed, you know? And, and so we get these looming conversations of these very similar deaths happening. <clears throat> and typically you'd have maybe one crazy person in the town believing, oh, it's vampires and like everyone else just calling them crazy. Um, but this this these townspeople are quick to believe that it is a vampire. So when the butler does go to this, um, you know, pub to to talk about kind of what's going on at the manor, he does kind of make a joke about vampires, and everyone gets very quiet because they do believe it. So when the human characters do start showing this kind of knowledge and um, 
you know, protective instinct to start protecting this young girl and kind of start getting quick to what's happening, getting wise to what's happening. I, that's kind of what really gets me like more on their side and kind of wanting to see them defeat, defeat um, Carmilla. So I, yeah. And I, I, I understand that entirely. It makes total <laughs> sense. Perhaps I'm just, I don't know what I'm trying. I don't know what even I'm thinking about. You just like to see the bad guy win because I, I guess. So and, hot. <laughs> but no, the, but, but this goes back to what I was saying before, and I don't even think I finished my point on this. My mind's all over the place. You'll have to forgive me on that. But what I was saying before about likening the, you know, likening it to a fatale, a femme fatale in a noir movie, because. You know, the men are weak or, or the victims of, the, you know, the leading evil woman are weak. So my mentality is just like, well, they deserve it for being so stupid. I mean, it's obvious what's going on. This is always what I think about when I when I watch yeah. Femme Fatale Noir movies, right? Is I'm just thinking, look, you don't need to be this way, leading man. So it serves you right for getting into the mess you're getting into. Yeah. Because, yes, okay, there's manipulation aspects going on. But I don't know if I'm also viewing it as quite uh, an entertaining. And as you said, you know, fairly progressive. You know, you can read it as progressive flipping of gender norms, which yeah. I think is also clear to me present in the vampire lovers i mean especially when yes oh yes you you compare this to hammer's other very notable vampire christopher lee's dracula who's very typically uh strong brooding kind of intimidating powerful um masculine presence isn't he yeah. who is just completely domineering and you know, Carmilla can't dominate people. She has to be cleverer about it. And this is why I love femme fatale characters, because they have to be clever they have to be more clever, they have to be smarter, they have to be more cunning about what they're doing, even if it's evil. I'm always impressed by cunning in any way. So yes. yeah. I, I like that. And it obviously works very well for Carmilla in the movie because she successfully um, takes under her spell four people? Four people. Peter Cushing's daughter is the first one and then yeah. Peter Cushing kind of leaves the movie after ten minutes for nearly all of the rest of the movie. Um which is unfortunate, but you have to throw Peter Cushing in there. It's a Hammer movie. And if you don't have one of Cushing, uh, Lee, or there's there's a, a few others. You kind of regulars. Charles Gray. If you don't have, you know, one of them, then is it really a Hammer movie? And in a strange way, actually, is it really a Hammer movie is a valid question because I believe it's also a co-production with American International, who... Again, understandably, given the way this movie looks, American International was behind all of Roger Corman's Poe movies yeah. um, in the early 60s. 
all the Vincent Price things, um, which obviously look, it, it, it's basically the aesthetic of we're in the 18th century or the early 19th century. There's a castle, there's forests, it's rural Europe, there's a small village that's made out of wood, and the fog machines have been turned on to maximum. <laughs> we have the aesthetic for our movie. And that's yeah. the aesthetic for, for the vampire yeah. lovers as well. Um, so I, I like that it's kind of that co-production. Yeah. I like the style. <clears throat> I, I, I do like the style, and I like watching this movie from the perspective of I like the flipping of gender norms in it, and I like that Ingrid Pitt is clearly so powerful in her hypnosis, her vampiric hypnosis. Yes, like, I, you know, her ability to take people completely under her spell, to, to turn people at her whim into whatever she wants them to be simply by appearing to be just a loving, compassionate friend. And gradually it builds and builds and builds. It's not just straight away, I'm Dracula, I want you, so that night... Yeah, I'm no, it's, it's, a, it's a slow build, it's methodical, and, like, you know, maybe more of a male vampire would easily just pounce and, you know, wrap a woman, give her a glance and wrap her up in his cape and be done with it. But, you know, this is a slow thoughtful build it's also kind of this reclaiming of of sexuality and you know yeah. you see these almost gratuitous scenes of her naked and bathing like you mentioned but to kind of take away you know the the showing of her naked body and you know taking the shame away from women being sexual um and turning that into a weapon that she uses um yeah i think is a really interesting and, and smart way to take something like that so you know um it, it doesn't feel shameful it feels more powerful that she's using it in this way um to to you know, seduce and and catch prey and and manipulate people to do what she needs them to do um so yeah there's there's a sense of power in that i think and yeah, there is. And Ingrid Pitt herself was always one to, you know, feel comfortable in such scenes that, you know, you do get in this movie. Very just seemingly unnecessary full frontal scenes. And it's just like, okay, there's that. And yeah. does it need <clears throat> to be there? No, it doesn't need to be there. But does Ingrid Pitt mind doing this? No, because she's said in interviews that it's all it was always something she was perfectly happy to do she didn't mind whatsoever yeah. um and you know frequently enough in her career she was presented in this way and you know whether contractually or not i think wouldn't have continued to do it if it wasn't something that she, she was, was okay with. comfortable with at least yeah. you know especially given the fact that um moving into the 70s and it was obviously becoming a little bit more free so you view it in that sense as well that it's it's really it is a progressive style in many ways and 
despite being despite the story being so classical so you know pure good versus pure evil and of course pure good wins in the end because yeah. that's you know the nature of these movies that's the story of these movies but you know tonally and codingly if you want to you know say it that way i i do think the movie is far more interested in in carmilla winning the day or at least it's far more interested in being a little bit more of a progression and it's the start as well of a of a vampire trilogy really from hammer the oh. karnstein trilogy um which is is this movie it is twins of evil and for some reason i can't remember the other one's name now which is going to annoy maybe but that's what it is there's three movies anyway so there's a bit of a law there as well and i think the fact that this movie's as good as it is and was as well received as it was because not a lot of you know there's there's hammer movies of the early 70s dracula ad 1972 for example that is reviled as a movie uh, yeah you know they're not in a great place in the early 70s and this is a real high point of this particular era of hammer the car the karnstein movies yeah. in general so I, I just i give an awful lot of credit to this movie and i think it's one that you can show a lot of people who maybe think of older more classical styling uh gothic vampire movies as being very stuffy and proper because it's so far away from being stuffy and proper even though a lot of the characters perhaps are you know <laughs> yeah. the movie really isn't the movie is the movie plays way more like a shock factor exploitative 70s movie than it does you know christopher lee's dracula horror of dracula from 1958 which okay the most gratuity you get in that is some plunging necklines and a lot of blood <laughs> yeah. you know <clears throat> i don't i just i i like to think of this movie like that yeah I no like i mean opening... exploitative in the opposite way yes i mean opening this film with a vampire in a shroud stalking a graveyard in the fog as yeah. a you know vampire hunter looks on through his you know castle window castle is window. very much like the vibe so to kind of open with that and and then uh almost like a sea siren she kind of lures a man out of a pub and um so just the build already you're setting up these perfect vampire vibes you're also setting up you know the female essence that's going to dominate this film um and the seduction quality that's going to be happening in terms of how our vampires operate so the setup even at the very beginning of this film um is really beautifully done and really pulls you in and really sets up the tone and the vibe and the style and this combination of the era in which it's set 
<clears throat> and the the current 70s era in terms of how the the clothes look and the hair and the makeup and all of that and just this really interesting cool modern feeling but gothic feeling uh energy so you know yeah. i was immediately pulled in you know with the narration and <laughs> like it, it definitely set this very nice spooky eerie um a classic gothic tone right off the bat. So um, you get all the vibes that you think of. It invokes all the images that you think of when you think of a vampire film. And then you realize we're looking at female vampires and not, you know, uh, a male vampire in a cape with pale white skin and, you know, <clears throat> and the typical look. So the fact that they set up all the very familiar vampire vibes in the beginning and then the shroud comes off and it's a beautiful female vampire seducing this man. And I love even when we hear him talk about it, it's years later and he's describing, you know, once, you know, our human characters are, are, are really realizing what's happening, they seek him out and he explains to them what happened and, and what's going on. And he explains that scene that we saw at the beginning and what he was feeling in that moment. You know, the shroud is removed and we pan up from her feet to this beautiful woman. Her gown is like sheer so you can see a little bit of her body. So again, it's this use of, of, um, you know, using sexuality as a weapon, using a, a, a you know yeah. a, a female body as a weapon of seduction to use um, to you know as a predator uses to get their prey, and you know he's knows what she is. He's ready to kill her, but because of how she looks, because of how beautiful she is in the sheer dress, he can't move. He can't will his limbs to to move to to kill her. And she, it's only until the crucifix he's wearing, you know, scares her off that he, you know, is able to snap back to what is going on and and kill her and we get this really kind of a cool decapitation right off the bat so definitely <clears throat> giving us all the perfect vibes of everything we need and then when we realize we're following female vampires and this you know lesbian seduction and 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 this kind of embracing of of of, of you know uh uh, these gay dynamics it, it's it's really all so interesting while still giving us the familiarity of what we know from this the genre so i yeah. was into all of it, it but it's be, it's because there's a massive fear of sex as well from the characters in this movie the the setting of this movie prim and proper central europe in in the 1700s there's obviously yeah. going to be a massive fear of sex i think this is something that hammer just latched onto so very well and which was why they were so popular and so controversial really in their heyday it was because the mid 20th century you know when all these movies are coming out all the the kind of mid to mid late 20th century when all these movies are coming out primarily of course through the 60s it's such a massive time of social change in Britain as well as in the U.S. Yes, because so, I, you know, immediately thinking about in nineteen, you know, we're just weeks ago we were talking about a film that was less than ten years older than this. You know, really talking about homophobia in the U.K. with Victim and, and kind of the yeah. the ostracizing and discrimination that gay people faced just 
not that long ago from, you know, when this movie came out. So to see this movie very openly and beautifully depicting, um, you know, lesbian relationships and, and, and you know, uh, female relationships in that way was just this extra added beautiful thing of, of open progression of, of where the world moved, you know, in such really, a, you know, a short period of time. So I really, really, really think it is. And I love, that's what I'm saying. That's why I love watching the movie, how I love watching the movie. Um, you can, you can put it in the picture of, yes, it's, it's horror movies. It's preying on, on fear of, of sex from the individuals, you know, the characters within the movie. Yeah. As well as the public consciousness outside of the movie in mid to mid late 20th century um primarily britain but yes okay the us as well of course this was available in the us at the time this was released um but there is that generational change in this in that period of time culturally so you know the older generation are still you could say prudish and the younger generation are much more free loving much more yeah. sex positive here is a movie where yes okay your villain is the your villain your typical villain your vampire might be the sex positive one and, and your heroes might be the still the nice uh good virginal people that are prim and proper yeah but Ultimately, the movie wants you to like Ingrid Pitt. The movie doesn't <laughs> really want you to like that. So it is that real capturing of a certain spirit of the time in which yeah. the movies were released, as well as capturing the actual reasonable fear of, you know, the the the... the reasonable fear that existed in the setting of the movie as well yeah. it, it's both it's all of it and I, I i love it from that aspect of well there's many many things to enjoy about the vampire lovers it might be typical as a story it might be you know nothing overly um surprising or anything like yeah. that in terms of what happens in the movie but it's the very nature of its its own premise and the way it tackles it the way it presents it that is the interesting and and worthwhile celebrating thing about this movie and i just i i i love it for that is why i wanted to talk about it in vampire season yes no podcast. no i was so into everything happening in this movie um just to kind of maybe flow through the story a little bit i did talk about the opening really just a great setup to the vampires we're going to see the type of vampires we're going to see um set up kind of our human characters and, and how they get manipulated throughout this whole thing um so yes we have this uh 
Hunter ultimately kills a vampire years pass. And then we're at this party with Peter Cushing and, and he's throwing for, I believe his daughter and, and this countess and her niece show up and they kind of have this grift almost going um, of how they do this setup where the countess says, oh, you know, I have to go take care of a sick relative, but I don't know what I'm going to do with my niece. And then, you know, Peter Cushing, oh, she can stay with us. We'll take care of her while you're away. So it's very much this little grift that they pull on, on these different estates of people. Um, yeah, so that, they, that's what I mean. They, they deserve... Yeah what comes to them because they're just the two trusting they're idiots they're too opening and trusting yes so but you know that is the time so peter cushing offers for them to stay she befriends his daughter and then gradually her daughter starts getting more and more sick and and you know blood loss and and again um i love that we're going to be seeing so many different changes and um kind of takes on typical vampire lore. I mean, there are some core elements, but there's always different things thrown in there. And especially considering you said this came before um, this story potentially came before, you know, Dracula stories. Um, yeah. To have that added element of, you know, after she's kind of bit somebody, she, that person starts having these nightmares, start having these bad dreams of a giant cat coming for them. And then the cat turns into, to Carmilla. And um, so I, I love that added element that she's ha almost haunting them in their dreams and building up this fear. And, you know, it, it very much feels like something in a modern horror, like a Freddy Krueger or something, or an, an it where the fear just makes them that much more <laughs> delicious to, uh, you know, they don't say that, but it feels like, you know, why add this extra element of this dream factor of kind of you know mentally manipulating your prey on top of the sexual seduction and you're just you have their mind completely and their body completely clouded um in order That's to the idea kind of get to them so i love this whole mind and body manipulation happening again to, you know going back to the point of the female vampire having this more thoughtful and methodical and uh, interesting uh, um seduction manipulation style than than you know what we see from a typical male vampire um so yeah she's using all of this to to get to this girl ultimately draining her and killing her and then you know she tries to just play it off like oh no i don't know what happened she just died in her sleep or whatever and then kind of moves on um her and the countess kind of reconnect and then they're on the road and oh no our carriage broke can you help us i have to go get to my relative and then they play their little grift again um and, and here is carmilla now you know changes her name and is is invited to stay with this new family um not really thinking about how they could potentially be connected to the last family that she just you know manipulated uh, so ultimately, she's staying with them and befriends the daughter, Emma, and, you know, is letting her borrow her clothes and being friendly with her and, um, you know, telling her how much she loves her and how beautiful she is and reading her stories and all this really big, great build of, of, of trying to get this chemistry with her in order to make it easier. You know, she doesn't need to do all of these things, but you know, it, it helps with the kind of ultimate manipulation that she's planning. So she does take those steps to, to befriend and, um, you know, almost get Emma to fall in love with her. 
Yes, there is one slightly ridiculous scene in her um, befriending of Emma, though. I think it might actually be directly after Ingrid Pitt is just in the bath in the middle of the bedroom. Yeah. Um, when she gets out of the bath and they start chasing each other around the room. Yes. As though they are very small children. And it feels like it's the one scene in the movie where it just feels like, well, what, why are they doing this? What's this about? It feels like all of the most unnecessary parts of the most gratuitous mid-80s slasher movies yes, thrown I mean, into it, one yes. scene. And it's, they're not, it, this, this, the, in this particular scene, they're not even naked. They've actually got clothes on in this particular scene. Yes, it very much but feels like feels... almost a scene. Yeah, it almost feels like a scene from like, um, you know, a Porky's kind of movie, like a sex it comedy. Knows. That's exactly even what it a, feels like. Even like a modern day spoof where those movies spoof something like this and say, you know, some guy, like in a not another teen movie, when like, you know, the two boys are in the vent and they're like, hey girls, let's take showers together. And they hear some random thing that women would never do that is so overtly sexual and, you know, just purposefully over over sexual between two women to kind of get you know drooling and tails wagging kind of thoughts happening <laughs> exactly you're, you're almost expecting them to pick up the pillows of the bed and yes start hey sally let's have a topless pillow fight like yes i will say but no you know in, in in all almost all cases in this film, the nudity and the 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 overt sexuality feels purposeful, feels empowering, feels like she's using it as a weapon. But in this scene, like you, it does feel very a, a bit reductive in terms of all the other forms of sexuality and nudity that we see in the film. This moment feels the most reductive. I will say, <laughs> it's almost as though the creepy producers just had to go. Oh, we need do we need one thing in there you know yeah. you might be trying your best to to actually make this movie somewhat progressive but you know yes. just put yeah. something absolutely unnecessarily gratuitous in there just because yeah so that's what that was one scene to, definitely because that's what the creeps who are going to watch this movie want to want see. to see it's very much like you know how jennifer's body was advertised and so when people saw the movie, right. it wasn't wholly about that. There was this disappointment from people who wanted to see something like that. So very much kind of throwing that kind of scene in there for people like that. Doesn't um, need it. Doesn't need it. it definitely does not. Um, and it kind of it, it is less of the quality of, of, of how we portray other sexual scenes in the movie. Um, I will say I do enjoy the scenes as well of... Um, I think we get this sense, it's very subtle, we get this sense that Carmilla has probably done this so many times that- An she... awful lot of time. Well, yeah. really, we should, we should, we should have prefaced the entire thing, but we're coming to, you know, towards the end of the discussion, really. <laughs> but basically, Carmilla is the daughter of, um, I was going to say, the daughter of her mother then which is just <laughs> thing well, i'm glad you i'm glad you got to say <laughs> um there's three karnstein vampires there's yeah. a father a mother and a daughter the father we assume is the one unnamed male vampire who kind of just He's shows just kind of up at random around. times in the movie yeah 
or he's like far away on a horse in the forest somewhere and we yeah. never re he never really does anything no, but every so often you'll get a you'll get a little 5 second shot of him laughing with his fangs out or something like that yeah yeah um and the mother is who we met and who peter cushing was very friendly with at the beginning of the movie and carmilla is is the daughter um but they are ancient vampires they've been undead for for years they are the same vampires who the baron at the very very beginning of the movie the guy who decapitates the one vampire yeah and they go back to later on um that's their castle where he is that's you know the whole aura of that place yeah. is incredibly vampiric but they have you know they have returned now um because yeah. they're obviously undead the vampires to this uh location this it, yes um so you know we do play into the sense of she must be have done this several times because there are moments where she gets very annoyed with uh the juvenile nature of emma you know when she's reading yeah. these little books especially when she's even talking about books that emma's reading that depict heterosexual romance it seems like there's this annoyance from her about those stories um so i love that that kind of also um really amps up the the um concept that this is very much a gay coded horror film that you know the mention of heterosexual love in this fantastical story is an annoyance <laughs> to her yeah um uh, and just how, you know, happy Emma is about things and how childlike she talks about things. You know, she'll snap at her in moments like, stop talking like that. You're such a, a silly girl. Like, And then she has to catch herself and be like, oh, no, no, I, I shouldn't have snapped at you. I'm so sorry. I love you so much. So, you know, there's this annoyance from her that she constantly, you know, has to do what she needs to do with these vapid girls who just you know have not a ton of substance and 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 she kind of gets frustrated in moments having to do this because you know she's so old and like been at this for so long she kind of just wants to get it done and have this young thing that she can have as her pet for all eternity but all yeah. the steps she has to take to deal with you know the juvenility of this person it is you see the frustration happen with her. So I kind of love those moments where she gets annoyed with Emma for just being so naive and like, you know, cute and happy and almost childlike in moments. And she's just like, stop your their silliness. Here is, <laughs> here like is the plight of the vampire. They just need yeah. to feed and they have to deal with people they don't like just to yeah. get them in a position where they can feed on them properly. Yes. Um, Maybe it so, was a bad yeah. idea that we ultimately started our vampire movies with interview with the vampire. I mean, yes, okay, it wasn't technically part of vampire season that we're in no. now on It's a Wonderful Podcast, but it might as well have been because, okay, it was a movie that I hadn't seen, but what Interview with the Vampire did was put you on the side of the vampire so very clearly because that is the nature of Louis in that whole movie. He is a vampire, yet you understand his, you know, struggle completely. So Which again, funny to in me. going Which... into watching this movie makes me doubly side with Ingrid Pitt, because <laughs> I'm just like, oh yeah, it's tough being a vampire. She just needs some food. 
stop being an idiot and and give her what she wants. See, so that and that is like kind of blowing my mind right now because I don't know if it's just um this attraction quality, but you know, it interviewed the vampire. I'm seeing myself siding with the male vampires <laughs> and you know falling for their attraction and you here are falling for the the female vampires and siding with them so i'm very much you know you know now that you've said that i'm like yes i i found myself on the side of the hot male vampires and enter with the vampire but here i'm kind of not i'm not really siding with her as much i'm seeing her as the villain and i think maybe i was on her side and like into their grift at the beginning but i think it's once i see the humans actually you know use some smarts is is maybe when that tide turns for me and i'm like okay humans you got this kind of thing so um that's because as as we all know janine you are of course anti-woman so (laughs) yes um... totally anti-woman um i'm only into the hot dudes um (laughs) um but um you know when they do start showing those smarts maybe that is where the tide turns for me so um you yeah. know emma does start getting sick uh as as uh carmilla has been feeding on her and um the butler starting to get concerned because her father is away um and he does kind of leave this hint with the kind of ranch hand or farm hand of of peter cushing who knows that family so we do get that there's a connection there um so people kind of are starting to be on to camilla carmilla so she you know ends up seducing the governess changing her into a vampire and getting her to fall in love with her in, in order to kind of enlist her help in in in, um kind of keeping eyes off emma so when emma starts getting sick and the butler suggests bringing in the doctor the governess is against it so he has to kind of sneak the butler has to kind of sneak the doctor in who ultimately you know i love that he's smart enough to not act like he believes in vampires when he definitely kind of knows what's going on but he's so he's showing some smarts there to not say so much in front of certain people and he just goes and puts the the cross on her neck um and implores them to garlic flowers in the room so i love that this is like a little protection element for emma in this time um and um carmilla can't get to her the governess can't get to her and, and the butler's really standing up for her so i love him in this moment and then he as a man is just easily seduced um by carmilla yeah. because he believes that he believes the governess is the only vampire he doesn't even believe that it's carmilla he believes it's the governess so it's because um, carmilla is so clever and she's been doing it for so he, long and the governess yeah hasn't. she knows yes and she knows how to kind of set it up to to have it look that way so she's able to, to seduce the butler and to where he does what she wants so he takes the cross off her neck he takes the garlic flowers out so her only emma in this sixth state her only advocate now is gone um so that builds yeah. to um you know carmilla getting her way with emma and and but now you know in in conversation the father has returned he sees emma is sick and now he's you know we they, we find the doctor's body on the road because yeah. since he was meddling he is now killed 
uh, by the vampires. And um, so now there's this whole conversation happening between Peter Cushing and these similarities and, and, you know, the townsfolk knowing about this happening. And so they're all kind of on board. So then they do reach out to the Baron from the very beginning, who's now older, and he's telling his story and talking about how, you know, that night that he killed that vampire and chopped her head off, he went through all the graves and staked all the bodies and and i loved seeing that scene of him just being worn and and going yeah. through each one and to the point where you know he was so tired he just kind of gave up so there were some that that did survive and and that's kind of how we got where we are all these years later so that's kind of the story they lay out um carmilla is ultimately caught on to um <clears throat> And but they're on to her as well and are ready and waiting for her to return to whom her manor with Emma. Um, you know, we get one of her victims, the governess, like, take me with you. And she's like, Nope, just no, I don't want life. you. You were a pole. Yes. yes. Um, the farmhand, he ultimately, you know, he's wise to things as well. They send him to go get Emma, and it's very much like your typical heroic, you know strong strapping man comes in to defeat the (laughs) yeah he is Um, and yes okay he ends up actually calls you know defeating carmilla because that's what he as a character supposed to do but i don't feel anything for our hero no no i wanted more time with him or something um, I wanted him to earn his place as the hero, kind of. He of doesn't the matter. Yes, he, this is he actually gets a sad, depressing <laughs> movie because the vampire doesn't succeed because we love the vampire so much. It's actually a sad movie. I finish watching it's the vampire movies and I go, and you oh no, yes, because at the at the at he holds up his his um, knife that you know is a cross. She dissipates returns to her grave alone emma is safe um and uh, you know they're all waiting for her and so peter cushing as she killed his daughter wants to ultimately be the one to kill her so he you know they open her coffin she's there and he ends up being the one to stake her so he gets kind for of not being, his bit of not being in the movie for <laughs> yeah how, so then how long do. how long is this movie the movie's like 95 minutes long Right, Peter Cushing yeah. is absent for eighty-five minutes of the middle. Yeah, of this and movie. then he gets a little stabbing stab, you know, redemption at the end. Of course yeah. he does, because <laughs> he has to be the one to actually put the final stake hammered on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's Peter Cushing, and this is just what he does. And then we Yay. we we did see her portrait in the manor, and as she's stabbed, her portrait turns into like this vampire skeleton. So yes, oh, very much style. yes, yes, so very much like haunted style. mansion <laughs> vibes right there with that. Um, but I mean a little yes. bit. I also get like haunted palace vibes, you know, with yeah. Vincent mm-hmm. Price and Price, yeah. the portrait Charles Dexter yes, Ball yes. on on the on the um above the fire there or dorian gray vibes and the picture oh, yes, changing. With the, with the picture there yeah we so, like it when paintings change to reflect the state of their human countenance yes so yeah i definitely was into this this film thank you for this i would never would have heard or thought of anything about this movie um so i love how progressive it feels i love getting to see the you know style and um 
kind of uh, demeanor and uh, tactics <laughs> of a female vampire and delving into that. Um, I love the the gay coding of it. It's and you know the kind of empowerment in most scenes of uh, sexuality and using it um, as an advantage in many ways. Um, I loved the characters and just the whole look and vibes of this movie. So I, re I was really into it. Well, that's, that's what I mean. You say in most scenes and you're entirely right. But if you go into the vampire lovers watching it, looking for a progressive empowering movie, that's what you'll find. But in a strange yeah. way, if you go into it looking for the complete opposite, gratuity you know, and also yeah. find that. <laughs> yeah. It's a strange balance, but it does work in both ways. Let's just all yeah. agree to view it as the former. I think. Yes, I think. It's a better. We're going to get a lot of nudity in this series. <laughs> well, vampires, they're all, they're all about. <laughs> sexual perversion aren't they so of course we are of yeah. course we are maybe not in dracula not in dracula that's coming up later on <laughs> yeah. i can categorically tell you right now there is absolutely no version uh, no uh, nudity <laughs> in bella lugosi's dracula or the spanish <laughs> version which uh, okay. is going to be one of our episodes on yes. uh, in this uh, vampire season but yes there we go the vampire lovers our first hammer movie yes on this uh on, on this podcast janine not far from the first hammer movie on this podcast but ours we... together yeah. yeah which is kind of what um took me a minute at the beginning to have to realize that it might be your first hammer movie I at all so. i think so they were always ones, or frequently enough ones, that um, Nolan and I used to do, or Dean and I, I should say, used to do. Yeah. Um, often, often do the odd weird British mid-century horror movie. Um, but here's, here's a good good starter one for you. Yeah. Good starter one for you. You can go back and watch the admittedly slightly better movies that are slightly older. The, the real top late 50s ones or The Devil Rides Out or things like that um, that are great. But The Vampire Lovers, for me, is 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 top tier, Hammer. It really yeah. is. I say that with no, no irony whatsoever or no sarcasm whatsoever. I really don't. And there we go. 1970s The Vampire Lovers, directed by Roy Ward Baker, Starring the great Ingrid Pitt, the Hammer staple, the British horror staple, that even though she's Polish, that is Ingrid Pitt. <laughs> she's wonderful. Uh, yes, she is. Yes. There we go. Yes. For this episode, Janine, we will be back next week on the main show with another great older vampire movie. We're here all month on both shows for vampires you can't go anywhere without vampires on it's a wonderful podcast this october we hope you like vampires we certainly do and we're excited to really get properly into this series we're a week in now we're two episodes of eight total 
into vampire season. It gets crazier from here. Naturally. Naturally, <laughs> it gets crazier from here. But every Friday, we celebrate old movies here on It's a Wonderful Podcast. Every Wednesdays, Morgan hasn't seen. You can find It's a Wonderful Podcast on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and... Of course, subscribe and ding your notification bell on the YouTube channel as well. It's a wonderful podcast on YouTube for all the fun stuff we have there. We spoke about the Patreon and the donations before, but you can also find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. Find me on Twitter at The Purple Don with a three instead of the E and the because, Janine. Three is a magic number. On Instagram and TikTok at the Purple Dawn. All your vampire loving is where. <laughs> you can find me at Janine Devine underscore on Twitter, Janine Devine on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get, oh, TikTok and threads now. And Ooh. if you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the description for the link or search It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print from, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. Well, yes, there we go. How do you feel about a, an Ingrid Pitt impression? Do, we, do you feel no, up to I the, the, the? I cannot do Polish a good sexy Polish. Sexy no, Polish. I'll, just, I'll probably just be. It'll come across me. like one of those stupid sex comedies that we were talking about before, <laughs> won't it? Like it'll probably sound like a, like a German Fraulein instead of a, a Polish. It'll vampire. sound like um, Madeline Kahn in in. Uh, <laughs> Young Frankenstein, won't it? That's what it'll sound yes, like. Yes, probably. Yes. So yeah, it'll be terrible. But I'll. I'll uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! No, you know this build-up is just making me nervous <laughs> to attempt it. <laughs> Three, a two, a one. <laughs> That wasn't bad, that wasn't bad, that was cool. Okay, yes. Bye. <laughs> Bye.